0: Father, we want to thank you for your goodness and your love to us. We want to thank you for what you're doing at Morris Park and Lord, your continued blessing there at Cornerstone. And as we see the progress on the building inch forward, just little bit by little bit, we thank and praise you, Lord. We thank you that we can trust you to take care of us. And Lord, what a testimony how you protected Jennifer and kept her eyesight. Lord, we, all we know how to do is say thank you. It seems so ridiculously little. And yet, Lord, that is your command for us to be thankful, because it keeps our minds and our hearts focused on you, and the fact that you are, and the fact that you are good. And Lord, we want to praise you for your watch care over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Compared to what Mrs. Montoro does and go you kids, but uh, we'll try to make it as exciting as possible. And, and I promise you this, the more still you sit and if I look at you and see you looking up here, the shorter I'll preach. OK, is that a deal? Oh, I got a big smile out of Shimon on that one. And uh, Joey, he doesn't believe me. Uh, he knows I'll preach as long as I can. No, we'll try to be careful tonight. But we are dealing with the subject of the Bible. And, and again, there, there is a purpose and there is a reason why for 25 years you've heard me stand in this pulpit... And I have two things that I talk about all the time. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, and church. Now, the reason I do that is because that's what God gave us. You know what? Without the church, this Bible is basically a useless tool. Because it is the Bible that demands that what we do in service for Christ, be done through the local church. That is the way that God wants things done. And the devil is many things, but one thing he is not. He is not dumb. And he is not wasteful with his energy. That's why the attack on the Bible has been so thorough and so complete... And if you really want to understand something, communism, Darwinism, new Bible translations, all developed in their modern horrors in the country of England in the 1880s and several decades before that it's kind of interesting well Darwin was an American but he was in the Galapagos Islands and all of those things as he developed his, his theories and uh, Karl Marx wrote his book most of it in London and then we have Uh, the founder of communism, and then it was in the universities of Cambridge and Oxford where the first major revision of the English Bible is called the Revised Version. I've never actually seen one. There are so few in existence. It was such an unused translation. But its purpose was, it was the gateway that opened the flood for now a hundred and sixty some different translations in the English language. And it's amazing. Only one comes from the same set of manuscripts that this one comes from. All the rest of them come from the others. Isn't that an amazing fact? That... Even those like the New King James and some of these who have tried to claim that they're not using the uh, Westcott and Hort or the um, some of the other more spurious documents. They still use them. They still consult them. They still put them in there. And so... What we're going to do is we're going to deal with the last section of the Bible in review. That's the general epistles in the book of Revelation. Um, if you look at your outline, if you need one, wave a hand there and we'll have somebody uh, bring you one in a few minutes there. But uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, unknown. Most people believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book. Some people believe Barnabas. Others, Timothy. Timothy. Uh, I'm not going to worry about who wrote it, but I will tell you this. Of all the books in the Bible, if there's one that you need to understand, it's the book of Hebrews. It's God's switchboard. It's, uh, how many of you remember, uh, now you don't remember, I'm sorry, but you've seen in the movies where the operator sat there and pulled out the wires and plugged everything in. How many of you have seen that thing? That used to be the way you made a phone call. What she was actually doing was connecting your wire with someone else's wire. That's why it would take, if you wanted to call across the United States, it might take a half an hour to complete the phone call. Uh, you would call the operator and say, I want to dial such and such in California. And they'd say, we'll call you when your call has been completed. She called the next switchboard and someone took out the plug and stuck it in. And then they called the next switchboard. Could you imagine? Now, today, you type in a few numbers on your cell phone, and you can call three-quarters of the way around the world. Pay for it, too. But, uh, anyway, uh, it's absolutely amazing. But, if you will allow it, Hebrews is God's switchboard. It's where every connection from Genesis to Revelation is all put together. And... Uh, we, we spent a long time in the book of Hebrews. How many of you were here for the book of Hebrews study? As we went through Hebrews uh, verse by verse. And, and I think it took us well over a year to do that. Uh, I want to do it again, but I'm afraid to get started because it just takes so long. But we'll, we'll see what the Lord will do. Then we have James. Uh, the book of James was written somewhere in the 40s B.C., yeah, they, it, it is believed that that book was one of the first uh, books that was uh, of the New Testament that was written. Peter came a little later. Uh, nobody has an exact date for John's letters, First, Second, Third John. Jude was the younger brother of Jesus. Again, we have no known date, but we do believe because of the context and the way that it was written in contending for the faith, that it probably came a little later, uh, more toward um, the uh, uh, end of the New Testament age, maybe possibly even after the fall of Jerusalem, as he is uh, charging Christians to earnestly contend for the faith. And the book of Revelation... Uh, As best we can understand, John, the beloved disciple, this would have been 70 years after his work with Jesus, so John would have easily been in his 80s or 90s. He was exiled on the island of Patmos, and Jesus Himself appeared and gave him His own revelation. The thing you need to remember about the book of Revelation, it is not... The Revelation of God's Prophecies. That's not what it says. It's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. And it's amazing that that book starts with letters to the churches. You see, other than Revelation chapters 4 through 22, which are primarily prophecy, these letters give us doctrine. But they don't give us anything new. They confirm only that which is already recorded in the Bible. They confirm the teachings of Jesus. They confirm uh, the activity in the book of Acts. We have a defense of known doctrine in Jude. And he says, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. Whenever you start hearing somebody talk about new, you need to run the other direction; our faith is not new. Our faith was established before Jude wrote his book. We have nothing to add to it, no new revelation we every generation seems to want to award itself with the greatest Bible knowledge award. I think we ought to make like the blind man in our sermon this morning and say, Lord, I don't know. I'll just trust you and follow you the little bit I can see. Amen? And so, we have in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. You may believe what you want, but... It tells us that they were seven distinct letters written to seven living churches at the time that John penned the words of the book of Revelation. Don't read church ages into this. I've heard sermons preached. Well, we're in the Laodicean age and we're going to be backslidden and, and, and lukewarm and, and we have no choice. Uh, Excuse me, how many of you believe the Bible teaches that we have no choice in serving God terribly? Does anybody believe that? No. God always wants us to serve Him faithfully. Amen? He always wants us to have His blessings in His work. God has never ordained that we have to be sickly. But we can be if we're not careful. Uh, I believe that we can move from a Philadelphian church to the dead church, to the church that allowed false teaching in, to the church that was lukewarm. I hope you read that verse every time you come through those doors. I have set before thee an open door. There, there are many... Churches And many, many pastors that just stand there and say, how in the world did what happened to you happen to you? And I just simply have to say, uh, the Lord set before us an open door. Actually, there's three of them out there. Amen? Uh, and we, we believe the Lord has put us here for a purpose. That's what the letters to the churches were. And then we have the prophecy of things to come and the promise of the new Jerusalem. By the way, the streets of gold are not in heaven, my friend. They're in the new Jerusalem. The pearly gates are in the new Jerusalem. And I'm not sure how that's going to work out, but it, it would be, if we understand correctly, the new, the new Jerusalem would be a satellite. It's interesting. Can I, can I get you a sci-fi connection here in your Bible? Uh, they all believe this huge asteroid is going to come and destroy the earth, right? How many of you have heard that? Well, actually, the new Jerusalem is going to descend from God and hover over the earth during the millennial kingdom. How about that for cool? But it is going to be death. To all that are unsaved and rebel against God. Because there will be no rebellion against God during the millennial kingdom. And I can't wait to find me a great big old lion and just walk up and grab a hold of that mane and pet it and not get my head bit off. Amen? Amen? And uh, you just have to want and pray that the lions in the millennial kingdom don't stink. Like the lions at the Bronx Zoo. How many of you have ever been past the lion cage? It's a little rough. And and, uh, I'm looking forward to those days. Those are promised. These books explain problems. And this is not an exhaustive list in your outline here. But... How many times have we dealt with pride? How many times have you dealt with pride in your life? You know where you're going to get the solution for that? James, third John. How about doubt and criticism? Try second Peter chapter 3. You know the I remember how many of you remember the Da Vinci Code by Mr. Brown? As he came out with this whole thing about Jesus and Mary Magdalene having children. And I mean, and, and, and I remember different people say, are you going to preach about the Da Vinci Cove? I've made a few comments. Most of them are like, if you're really foolish enough to believe that, I'm not sure I can help you. Uh, There is, if you ever find someone that actually believes that stuff, you need to pray for them. Because Mr. Brown, in writing his book, apparently is a fairly, fairly good contriver of fiction. But there is nothing factual in that book at all. Even the facts that are in his book are fictional. Because he has pulled them out of place and context. Because, first and foremost, he wants to make money. And money means entertainment. That's why I don't make money. Because we're dealing in truth. And truth is sometimes boring, isn't it? But I'll tell you, it's necessary. It is absolutely necessary. sin. We have to deal with sin in our lives. Compromise. The unity of the Bible. How many times have you heard someone say, the Bible's a bunch of contradictions. You haven't read the book of Hebrews then. Oh, that's the most contradictory of them all. Well, that just shows you where the person is coming from. You haven't paid a bit of attention to what you're reading. Because if you had, you would know that the book of Hebrews is the most connective book in the entire Bible. The importance of the church. Faith versus works. Do you know that Martin Luther, as he was translating his Bible into German for the German people, he read James chapter 2 in the Latin and could not contrive in his mind a connection between faith and works, and he did not want to translate James chapter 2 into his Bible because he did not believe in a connection between faith and works. Now, let me tell you something. If your faith doesn't work, maybe it's done busted. Uh, it, it, it might not be good enough to get you to heaven. Now, don't talk like that in Japan or they'll think badly of your preacher's English, all right? But uh, uh, the simple truth of the matter is, faith... Produces works. James explains it. That's the struggle of life. That's why our faith needs to move in that direction. And yet, what do they do? They try to explain these books away. We'll spend some time as we study the history. I I really hate the term church fathers. uh, Because all you have to do to be a church father was be alive, uh, let me see, um, I can't even remember, okay. If you're going to be one type of church father, you have to be alive before 200 A.D. If you want to be another kind of church father, it's 250 A.D. And if you want to be the last kind, it's before 500. So that's the first requirement. You have to live in one of those time periods and you have to write a book that we can still find somewhere. That's the only qualification. Some of those guys were complete and total heretics. Did not believe Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Didn't believe in anything. Uh, one of those guys, he, he wrote uh, one of the most famous books in all of history that's never been found. It's called the Hexophila. How many of you have ever heard of the Hexophila? It is a ten-version translation. Talk about modern translations. Uh, It was a ten version translations where this guy used varying methods to translate the Bible from the Greek. And and none of the ten agreed with each other. Uh, And that made him very, very famous. And fortunately, no one knows of an extant copy. It's just been referred to. And so he gets the... uh, The, uh, privilege of having a written book, written a book that nobody's ever read, and still, it has a great influence on churches today. And if you believe that, please see me afterwards and I'll sell you the Brooklyn Bridge, alright? Uh, but that's where these church fathers come in. But let me tell you something we do gain from them. Every one of them quoted these books. You know what that proves? These books were accepted Scripture before they were accepted as church fathers. And so even from some of the scoundrels of history, we get proof that our Bible is the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, it deals with every issue that you will ever deal with. It tells you how to live. It tells you everything that you need. This book is over 3,400 years old, giving us a history back into time of over 6,000 years. The Old Testament was completed by 400 A.D. And its text was compiled by the Jewish people. There has been very little arguments over the text of the Old Testament. In fact, the only real arguments over textual problems in the Old Testament is New Testament scholars taking verses that are quoted in the, from the Old Testament and the New Testament and trying to twist them around to say things that they never did. So, and by the way, maybe I ought to look up this sermon. It's by Pastor Norse Belcher. And, and uh, excellent, excellent message. He pastors the church I grew up in in Maryland now. And the title of the message was, You Don't Speak Greek. And uh, basically what he did was, Greek is not, New Testament Greek is not a living language. No one speaks that language today. And yet, what people want to do is they want to go back in time and change meanings and uses so that they can change words. If they can change words, they can change the message. If they can change the message, we as the psalmist in Psalm 11, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know what? We have a rallying point. We have a place that we go. We have a court of final appeal. It's this book right here. It's not always the most enjoyable thing to follow the Bible. But it's always the best. This has got to be where our loyalty is. This has got to be what drives our church, not the other way around. We don't look for text to agree with us. We want our church to agree with the text. The entire Bible was being circulated by 120 A.D. Now, here's something that's very interesting. Oh, now I'm going to forget the name. Septuagint, there it is. Do you know that anyone who put any verses from the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, it's called a Septuagint. So, if someone took the Bible and actually bound it together as it was and translated it into Greek, the Old Testament portion, all of a sudden we have a Septuagint now. The lie of the Septuagint is one of the greatest perpetrated. It's, it's actually bigger in theological realms than global warming is today in science. Uh... It is one of the great fallacies that has come. We have entire translations of this Bible dating back to 150 A.D. And you know what? Most of them have every book that this one does. Some of the earliest are missing the book of Revelation. Some of them might be missing one of the uh, epistles. But certainly long before the turn of the 3rd century before 200 A.D. there were complete Bibles in more than a 6 or 8 languages with all the same books that you have today can you name me another book that's that old that's been translated as many times as this one has has that has all the information that we reviewed over the last several Sunday nights, that tells us of all the great truths that we need, of God's love, of His salvation, of His church, of baptism, of the Lord's Supper, uh, of all of these doctrines that we try to practice even today. But I want to challenge you, you know that the church was having trouble while the Bible was still being written? That there were errors in the early church. That's why Paul wrote the book of Galatians to the Galatians. They had problems. They didn't understand what salvation was. And they believed that they were being seduced into believing that they needed to become Jewish in order to be saved. And Paul set them straight now, didn't he? You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Somebody had written the Thessalonian church a book and signed Paul's name saying, Jesus has come already and you guys are lost. And they believed him. But why wouldn't you believe him if you got a letter signed by the Apostle Paul? And so Paul writes 2 Thessalonians and said, I didn't write that letter! He said, You need to pay attention. He said, You need to follow what is true. The early church had a lot of problems. They had the Nicolaitans, they had the Balaamites, they had Jezebel. What did he tell the church at Ephesus? He said, You left your first love, you got heart problems. We've got to guard against that. We've got to pray. Because we could end up very easily where the church of Ephesus ended up. That's not what we want. We want that candle to be shining brightly when the trumpet sounds. Can we say amen to that? You know what? They have problems with prayer. Sometimes they were even denying the deity of Jesus and his earthly ministry was real. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Strangely modern. Because the devil doesn't have new tricks. Unfortunately, the old ones work pretty good. So, what do we do? The whole purpose in this study on the Bible is to help you understand that this book is different than any book that's ever been written in history. What it contains is God's revelation, and we believe that it's all of God's revelation. You turn on TV or radio and you hear, well, God told me. Well, wait a minute. God didn't tell you nothing unless it's already been written down. If you've been in the discipleship, we've tried to help you understand how to find God's will and know God's will. The book of Romans tells us that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what? I think we can prove that it was good and acceptable and perfect that we bought this building because God paid for it. That's easy to prove now. It wasn't so hard. It wasn't so easy to prove when we still owed one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and only had ten thousand dollars in the bank. Now that was not fun. That was downright terrifying. Some of you remember those days. And all I do is get up in the pulpit and I try to preach a sermon and say, "Pray. You just need to pray. If God doesn't do something." God did something. God always does something. Because He's God. Can we say amen? This is what we need to hold on to. It's God's revelation. You want to know about God? You study what's written down. You see, I could keep you here all night... And never even begin to exhaust all of the good things that are in your Bible. But we're going to close. I have a word of prayer, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for how special it is, and Lord, all of the unique things that are in your Word. We ask. That you would help us to grab a hold and hold on tight in these difficult days. Lord, that we would follow you and your word. And that our loyalty would lay nowhere else. Help our church to follow your word. We need you to bless us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, the altar's open if you need to spend some time. We'll go to the Lord in prayer as a church in just a few moments.